Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец, Сын, Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Когда твой путь земной пройдет свету резной, ты вспомнишь, что спаситель с тобою, ты вспомни в этот час, спаситель любит нас, спасет. Yeah.
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the wisdom and riches that are, yet, are not yet known to us, but that the Lord desires to reveal to us today. Revealing His mystery, His promises, He reveals to us His heart, His nature. Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. And relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. 
And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant, and established in the new tablets of the covenant, allowing God the ability to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the law, but by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. The book of Romans 4.13, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith within our heart is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, or our obedience to the preached word spoken by God's delegated persons. Therefore, the promise of peace is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us His word by His delegated persons. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God. We need to know that we are responsible before God for who we receive, who we listen to, and how we listen. We need to determine or examine whether a person is truly sent by God to present the power of his word by the sequence or succession order written in Scripture. Romans 10, 13 through 17. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? <coughs> and, now, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? Today, there are a lot of preachers that are not sent by God. You think that if they finish a spiritual uh, school of some kind and receive a doctorate in theology, that doesn't mean that they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then the faith of God comes from those sermons of the people, in the sermons of those people whom God sent, and not those who have finished some kind of college or school and received a doctorate in, some, in theology. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man as evidence of the fact that we are children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God. When accomplished, this is the goal of the given to us righteousness. And so the goal of righteousness is to inherit these promises, to take them from the treasury of hope. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God containing the covenant, contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because God only responds to those thoughts that are in Christ Jesus. Righteousness in the covenant of peace can guard our mind there so that God can respond to us. Be anxious for nothing. Philippians 4. 4, 6 through 7, the book of Apostle Paul. 
being anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving means that we already know that it is there and we thank him for what God has placed upon our account the things that we are asking of him we don't yet see it but it is in God and in our heart and in scripture and it already exists And so these are the ones that we reveal. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God is only able to guard those minds in Christ Jesus that are renewed by the spirit of their mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. Because carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For Romans 8, 6 through 8. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Oftentimes these carnal mind are the desire to preach, evangelize, to do something good, desire to fast, desire to pray, and fast not just one day, three days, but seven days, a uh, couple of uh, uh, more of those digits. And so because of those fasts, people think that they have the right to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are gifts and are not given because you fast. They are distributed by the Holy Spirit upon those whom he is uh, preparing and cleansing so their conscience is purified from dead works to then demonstrate his gifts in them and the way he wants them to. And so to learn to practice gifts of the Holy Spirit is impossible. It is impossible because the master of gifts is the Holy Spirit and he gives it to the one whom he wants to when he wants to and he reveals them when he wants to the way he wants to. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, Romans 8, 6 through 8. Uh, 6 through 8. According to this statement, we conclude that people that have not allowed the truth of the preached word in the power of the Holy Spirit to renew their mind by the spirit of their mind have not connected to the peace of God and are not able to have it and consequently have no connection to the sons of peace either specifically by the means of the collaboration of our heart or our spirit with our mind that, our, that is in Christ Jesus, we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and dress our body into the resurrection of Christ. This is the promise at the door of our hope. Hope is waiting. Of, uh, waiting to meet the Lord in the air, but before this happens, God at the door of our hope gives us the opportunity to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our body to eliminate by the law of the spirit of life the law of sin and death within our body and as soon as the law of sin and death is eliminated as we know the body will immediately be renewed this doesn't mean that it will change into the image of heavenly uh, a heavenly body but it will be renewed 
And so, now to look at the righteousness of faith, bringing about the inheritance of peace of God, and to understand the conditions outlining the way our righteousness needs to, needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we have come to the necessity to look at four classical questions. What are the qualities of the peace of God in, in Scripture called to guard our minds in Christ Jesus? What power does the peace of God have within the relationship of God with man and man with other men? What conditions do we fulfill to be, clo- be clothed into the peace of God, called to guard our minds in God? And by what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves, that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are people who perform peace, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. To perform peace is something that only people who have in their heart the inheritance of peace, who have made a covenant of peace with God, whose conscience is cleansed from dead works. And so if a person has not died for his nation, for his house, and for his corrupt or destructive desires, then his justification, which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee, will never convert into righteousness by which he would be able to receive and be clothed into the promise of the peace of God so that he in righteousness would bear fruits of peace. And furthermore, not dying for their nation, their house or their corrupt desires, the promise of peace will be taken from them, giving them the right to be called sons of God. And it also have the, they will not have the right to meet the Lord in the air. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11. And so the crown can be taken. It can be stolen. And so that they not take it, we need to hold fast what we have continuously remember about remember this and keep our minds sober and confess what we want <clears throat> the promise of peace receives its power and its legitimacy only by the righteousness of faith and the covenant of peace which places responsibility upon both parties or both sides upon God and man and if one of these sides breaks or violates the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace between God and man to note that such a violator can only be a man then the other side being God, is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness, identified as the peace of God within our heart, is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that he may fulfill Uh, his part of the covenant which consists in leading us into the inheritance of his son so that we would be able to share with him the fulfillment of all that is written about him in the laws, prophets, and psalms because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into righteousness with which we became able to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those all around us. As it is written, Hebrews 12:14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
We've noted that in, the, in this place of Scripture, we are talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is able to function only within the boundaries of holiness and as an expression, demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God. Romans 12:18. The same apostle another, in another place of Scripture talks about the fact that peace is not possible with all people. And so the peace that we dare to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will actually be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life. Because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and transform us into their wicked image. This doesn't mean how we treat these people or see them. This is talking about how the scriptures see them. If they have left their church and have turned from the commandments that were given to them, God, the scriptures identified them as evil. They gather up, they create their own synagogues, which the scriptures call as the synagogue of Satan. You can say whatever you want about them, but when you contradict the, the spirit of the word or the spirit of scripture, then you fall into a problem and into a very dangerous problem. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupt good habits. Awake uh, to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34. People who think that God loves everyone and that all have the right to behave the way they do and that they live a holy life, uh, the scriptures say you don't know God because if you knew God, then you would not think this way because God is holy is and he's unchanging in his word. Anyone who violates his order and hates the, his church that he gave his life for, he will defend that church because she can't defend herself, but he will defend her. You'll say, what? God is only here? God is in the church that accepts him upon his conditions and serves him upon his conditions. It is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the lawless who support the unclean, that in their time accepted the truth, but afterwards left their church and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. The very fact of the rebelliousness and resistance of the words from God's delegation that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20-21. And this is not the only place of Scripture. When, he's, when he says there's no peace for the wicked, so however you may treat them, however you may love them, they have no peace. And your communication with them means, if you communicate with them, that means you will share their fate. In the previous services, we in a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, have already looked at the first three questions and stopped to study the fourth question. By what signs are we able to examine ourselves that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? 
called to share the inheritance of Christ contained in the laws, prophets, and psalms. We've noted that the limit or boundaries of holiness within which peacemakers similar to their Heavenly Father perform peace within the time and boundaries ordained for them by God are the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord in the format of the elementary principles of Christ. The tool by which the sons of peace perform peace within the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord is the righteousness of their faith. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. I will remind us shortly in short formulations the first six and we will continue on to study the seventh the first sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by the format of our justification which we received independent from the law freely by the grace of God independent from the law or from our own deeds freely by the grace of God in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus not by fast and prayer or good work or evangelism but freely we received it by grace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, 1, 2. A person cannot receive access to God's grace if he doesn't have peace with God and if he has peace with God, that means he has justification. He can't have peace with God without justification, which he received freely. To have the peace of God within your heart by being justified by faith by the redeeming blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is possible only by listening and obeying the preached word spoken by God's delegated persons that are placed over us by God and not ones that are voted for or selected by men. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 Apostle Paul says that I and those like me are those middlemen or mediators through whom or by whom you can have any promise. Jesus, regarding these things, said these words, He who hears you, hears me, those that I have sent and not those who you have voted for. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Luke 10, 16. The second sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is our ability to have peace within the boundaries of holiness and as a demonstration of holiness, identified as the given law of God in the elementary principles of Christ. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. <clears throat> Holiness is the ability to differentiate and separate dead works from works that are done by God. The ability to differentiate and separate the form of the life of the old man from the form of the life of the new man. And the ability to depart, avoid, and not communicate with evil company that hate the truth of the word of God. The third sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by our membership to the congregation of Israel, which is the chosen by God remnant who receive Jesus Christ.
And so Israel is the chosen by God flock and not all Israel, because not all Israel are so, but only those who receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished, and so he can be our peace only when the remnant of the nation of Israel and the Gentile church that also becomes a part of this remnant unite into one. They can't, without, they can't have peace without us in Christ Jesus, and we can't have peace without them in Christ Jesus. Because from the two he made one, he had, again, he had abolished that flesh, uh, in his flesh the enmity that is in the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, there, thereby putting to death the enmity. The fourth sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is the pour of the Holy Spirit upon the wilderness of our heart, which will become a fruitful field that will be counted as a forest. Isaiah 32, 15 through 18, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. Until a person bears fruit of the Spirit, you cannot speak of peace, because peace that the Lord gives in the covenant of peace is the fruit. You receive it in the form of a seed, the seed dies, and it bears fruit. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in a quiet resting place. And so, this peaceful habitation, secure dwelling, this is our body delivered from the law of sin and death. In this given promise, it is talking about the enthroning of the peace of God within our mortal body by the means of the righteousness of our faith. The fifth sign by which we need to determine that we belong to the sons of peace is demonstrating zeal for our God, where we prevented the sons of Israel from being destroyed by making atonement for them. Numbers 25, 10 through 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume them, all of Israel, in my zeal. Therefore, behold, I give to them a covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. We see the symbol of zeal as the dying of our carnal members, which are fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which are idolatry. The sixth sign by which we need to determine that we are part of the sons of peace is by having the kingdom of heaven inside of ourselves. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Romans 14, 17, 18. Identifying the righteousness of peace and righteousness of peace, we have been studying the growing of the, of the fruit of the tree of life inside of ourselves. And the seventh sign by which we need to determine that we are part of the sons of peace is by our ability of, to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God.
Colossians 3.15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. According to this place of Scripture, the rule of the peace of God in our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehendable for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehendable for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. The purpose of, of the selective love of God that is in Christ Jesus, which surpasses our understanding, is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that is that width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes understanding, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. The phrase that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints indicates the necessity to find the narrow gate in the form of a good wife, symbolizing all of the saints that are included in the category of God's chosen flock. Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And we're not talking here about a regular wife. We're talking about... It's not talking about woman, uh, uh, flesh and blood. We're talking about finding such a wife where we will receive grace from the Lord. We can't receive grace from the Lord uh, through our wives because they are not called for this, and we can't receive grace from our husbands either because grace is to be received in the church and through the church. Otherwise, why would we need the church? Because God gives his life for her, and there his grace reigns. To find a good thing and to obtain favor from the Lord is to discover the treasure of the kingdom of heaven upon your field. Matthew 13, 44. <clears throat> Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all all that he has and buys that field. Looking at the meaning of this parable, we see that if a person will not find by searching for the treasure of the kingdom of heaven that is hidden in the field, he will not be able to use the grace of God to bring about his salvation. And we know that the symbol of the field is our body that is under the control of the law of sin and death. But at the door of our hope, we are given a promise that is called to liberate us from the law of sin and death. And so when a person hears and finds out about this promise for himself, and when he, he receives this promise, he now needs to pay the 
uh, price of everything he has or owns, because if we, for this field, which is our body, to whom belong this kingdom of heaven, called to liberate our earthly body from the law of sin and death, we sell all that we have, including our nation, the house of our father, and our fleshly life. We need to sell all of this, otherwise we will not be able to have the peace of God or be called sons of God. Therefore, finding a good wife is making a matrimonial contract or a marital union with a specific church of saints who satisfy the requirements of God's chosen flock or God's remnant. According to Scripture, the selective love of God as a true virtue that a virtuous wife possesses is kindness or goodness that is grown from knowing God by listening to the preached word about the kingdom of heaven that is inside of you. And such a virtue grown by God within the heart of a man from the seed of the preached word of God about the kingdom of heaven is defined in scripture as wisdom that comes from above, moral perfection, the bond of perfection, splendor, greatness, beauty, magnificence, and glory and so forth. However, to have more practical specification when it comes to to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God as the true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken word of the apostles and prophets. 2 Peter 1, 2-8 Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to by glory and virtue, by whom have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. When we uh, fit these promises into our heart, only then will we become a part of God's divine nature, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, true virtue demonstrated in the qualities and characteristics of the selected love of God is none other than the royal crown of the righteousness of God. Therefore, virtue that we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the selective love of God is the love of God that comes from goodness, the goodness of God. This quality is identified as the great mystery of God contained in the word of his redemption. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed out on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 Because of this, we began to study the selective love of God in the context or format of the seven qualities of virtue, which are called to demonstrate, be demonstrated in our faith, to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ, that is, into our new person. And for this purpose, it was necessary for us to 
to first differentiate the selective love of God from the tolerant love of man, as the quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with what man calls love, because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues and characteristics of God himself, as well as his all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God himself, because God is love. And such a love coming from a similar goodness of God is defined in Scripture as the bond of perfection. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. Here it's talking about the bond of perfection, the seven uh, qualities of virtue, so that we may be able to uh, show them together and every quality of and all together is love it is the bond of all perfection this and so the unconditional nature of the selective love of God is in no way able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes because it is it possesses a flaming jealousy of God all of the knowledge of God and an absolute wisdom of God at the same time the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes because you're my brother, you're my friend, you're required. You're my wife, you're my husband, you're required to support me. We need to understand these things. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Songs of Solomon 8, 6 through 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Here it's talking about the love of God, which is filled with his jealousy. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give to, for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. We know that the uh, quality of human love uh, is bought. If a person is not ready to sell himself for a hundred dollars, he will for a thousand. If not thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand. And when I saw a show where in the streets they would approach uh, uh, what appeared to be proper women. Uh, they said, "Would you?" Uh, Come with me for 10 or 100,000 right now if you go with us. If you betray uh, your spouse with this other person. And she, uh, she started thinking about it. She considered it. And she would uh, go and do these things for $100,000. And then she came home and uh, told her husband, and her husband's like, I can forgive you for that because you brought, uh, brought $100,000 home. And so people see their joy uh, in money. 
The unconditional nature of the selective love of God can be received and given exclusively by knowing the truth and receiving the Holy Spirit upon the basis of absolute and reasonable willingness of the man. And to better understand the way we are called to demonstrate the work of virtue in our faith, the work of virtue demonstrated in the love of God, we need to remember first the genesis and virtue of the selective love of God, the purpose of unearthly love within our faith, the price of obtaining the unearthly love of God agape, and the science is evidence of the selective love of God in our faith. In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we partly have already looked at the virtues the scriptures present concerning the springs from which the selective love, selective love of God flows in the atmosphere of which the peace of God reigns. And looking at this question, we came to the necessity to separate the perfect and selective love of God from the imperfect and tolerant love of man. In Scripture, the goodness of God comes from the selective love of God, which is contrary to evil that comes from hatred of the fallen angels and men that are within the power of these fallen angels. Therefore, as in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, the level of the power of the selective love of God is determined and is known by the level of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and evildoers. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, this is about Jesus, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1 9. Considering that good and evil are programs. To love righteousness and to hate lawlessness is only possible in their carriers, which are their programmable system. Psalm 11, 5 through 7, The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. We know that the unclean are people that were previously holy and then turned away from God's commandments. These are not people of the world. Therefore, So to be unclean, you first need to be holy. And these people of the world, they're dead to God, they can't be unclean. <clears throat> Therefore, to understand the natural essence of the selective love of God and the goodness of God, it is necessary for us to look at what or who God loves, also what or who God hates. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we will be able to be filled with all of the fullness of God and demonstra demonstrate God's reaction in our faith concerning things that are good and evil. Answering the first question, what does God love and who does God love, we came to the conclusion, first the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns, loves to pardon or be merciful to the repenting sinner. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Micah 7:18. And this is not the only place of scripture. And it says that God forgives only the remnant of his people, the chosen ones those whom he chose from the multitude of the called. The called don't are not included here because the called will not be repenting. They will be hard-hearted and ask upon what basis is God doing, doing this. God is not just. 
Just like the older brother who became angry at his father, <coughs> he never did this for me yet. For my younger brother who was who uh, left us, he returned and he uh, cr- prepared a banquet for him and slaughtered the best of our of our flocks for this. This one, he left everything. He came with nothing. And he told his father, I have nothing. <coughs> he left all of his friends. He died for everything. And he came completely humble, not wanting anything. You wanted it. He didn't. He says, Father, for bread that is on your table, I'm ready to be your slave. Not a son, but a slave, although previously he was a son. But the father said, a son can't be a slave. Give him a new set of clothing, a ring on his finger, and slaughter the best of our flocks. And we will rejoice and be glad, because my son was dead and has been found. Second, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns, loves in its nature loves the fatherless, the widow, and the stranger. And we also need to love the fatherless, the widow, and the stranger. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy 10.18 To be fatherless is to die for the house of your father to deny the house of your father then you become a fatherless to be a widow is to die for your old person who is called sin this reigning of sin this old man he, and so when we die for this husband because he who rules within our body he is our husband when we die for this husband by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ by this cross we become a widow and he loves the stranger we become a stranger only when we die for our nation or deny our nationality And so nationality being German or Japanese, whatever you are, Ukrainian, if you do not die for this, you will not be able to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You need to die for these things. Die for your nationality and your nation. Third, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns, by its nature loves righteousness and justice. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 33, 5. And so the carriers of righteousness and justice need to demonstrate mercy. And so the purpose of this righteousness and justice is to judge and show mercy. Fourth, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns. In its nature loves his holy nation which is in his hand and who sits down at the feet or the Lord's feet to receive his word. If he, this nation is in the, hand, in the hand of God and sits at his feet, yes, he loves the people, all his saints are in his hand, they sit down at his feet, everyone receives his words. Deuteronomy 33.3 We know that in order to be within the hand of God, 
it is necessary to collaborate with this hand. God does not drag a, a, anybody by their hand as a mother sometimes drags her child. That God doesn't do that. He looks at your outstretched arm and then he takes it. He says, come to me, come near to me and I will come near to you, says the Lord. All begins with you. The responsibility to be in the hand of God is God is is your responsibility, not God's responsibility. If a person uh, stretches out his hands to God, God likes when you stretch out your hands to Him, without doubt or shame. But if a person is not uh, believing in justification and he can't raise his hands not at the time of singing or prayer when joy comes he feels he can't he's feeling uncomfortable how can God take it by take you by your hand if you're not even lifting them to God if you're afraid to you think that if you will be jumping up and down here on stage and force the church to jump up and down as a monkey that God will somehow stretch out his hand, no, he won't do this. When you behave in such a manner, God will not do that, that, do that for you. <coughs> there needs to be respect in the church and order. <coughs> Have you ever seen a scripture that the nation of Israel in the temple behaved in such a manner? They can dance, but these uh, dances were uh, proper and they were not in the temple. They were out of the temple. In the temple, in the presence of God, <clears throat> there was fear and everything you, ne you did in the temple was according to his commands. Fifth, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns in nature opens the eyes of the blind, raises those who are bowed down, and loves the righteous that walk the way of righteousness. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind, and the Lord raises those who are bowed down, and the Lord loves the righteous. Psalm 146, 8. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he who loves him follows righteousness. Proverbs 15, 9. We know why he straightens out the bowed down is one when the law of sin and death is within a person and he is suffering, that's a bowed down person. A person who has the look of righteousness but who has denied its power do not suffer from this law of sin and death. But people who want to be delivered and suffer, God will raise them up and straighten them out. He will eliminate this uh, position of being bowed down and those people who are of the uh, infants in God and God will open their eyes and those who see and do not fulfill he will actually blind them he had said I came to make one uh, blind and others to see. And the Pharisees asked, Do we, are we blind also? And he said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty, but since you claim you see, you are still guilty. And you will become blind, and no one will be able to free you from that. Sixth, the selective love of God flowing from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns, in its nature loves the gates of Zion. His foundation is in the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Psalm 87, 1-2. We know that Zion is the bride of the Lamb, 
the holy remnant of God. And if we love our church, then we love the gates of Zion, and its foundation is upon the holy mountains. Seventh, that selective love of God flowed from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns. By nature, loves a cheerful giver. So let each one gives as, his as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9.7 The next element by which we need to determine our membership to the sons of peace, without which we will not be able to demonstrate the selective love of God in our faith, is hating all that God hates, because the measure of the selective love of God determines the measure of hatred toward impurity and lawlessness. Considering that the selective love of God in the format of the law of God and lawlessness in the format of resisting the law of God are programs whose carriers of me are men. And just like we studied what and who God loves, we will study what and who God hates. And so first, the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns hates people that hate the Lord. Second Chronicles 19.2 And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. He was uh, helping his brother, the king of Israel. Only those who know the Lord are able to hate Him. They choose their gods and their desires over God. Otherwise, how can you hate or not communicate with one that you do not know or know only in part? Here's what David says. Psalm 139, 21, 22. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. I will remind us that studying love and hatred, we need to keep in mind that we are not talking about feelings, but actions, your obedience to the commandments of God, which are called to lead your feelings. And to love is to do something, uh, and to hate is also doing something, and not feelings. Feelings you need to lead. Therefore, to love is to con continue to communicate and do good for those that God loves. And the opposite, to hate, is to avoid and depart from communication and not do good for those that God hates. Relevant to this, I will remind us that there is a category of enemies that you do need to do kindness for, to overcome evil with good. These are people of this world, the people of our house, and Christians that are still babes. And so babes in Christ, as they have not become spiritual, they receive everything in a different way. But the scriptures say that these enemies you need to love and overcome evil with good. And there's a category of enemies that we are forbidden to do good for because they are not able to be overcome with good. These are fallen angels and people that knew the truth but afterwards rejected the holy commandments that were given to them and left their church. 
This is why they became carriers of the program of uncleanness and lawlessness. Followers and asserters of tolerant love need to understand that however much good you do for the devil and carriers of his lawlessness, not only will you not overcome them with good, but will also condemn yourself to the same fate as them. How much good Jesus did for the, his people and then they wanted to crucify him. You can only overcome with good certain category of people, people of the world, people of our house that have now become unclean, of course, and people, uh, babes in Christ. This truth is well known in the studied by us text, or well shown in the studied by us text, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord, therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. The unquestionable evidence of love for the law of God is called to be holy truth within our heart, which is identified as the nature of our new person grown in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Leviticus 20:26. To separate from this evil company. Holy truth within the heart of the righteous demonstrates the virtue of the selective love of God, where God shows mercy upon the vessels of mercy and pours out his wrath upon the vessels of wrath. And the vessels of wrath are unclean people. These are not people of this world. These are people who were once holy, but then rejected God. Job 37, 11 through 13. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes them to come, whether for correction or for his land or for his mercy. You remember how we started out uh, uh, this sermon, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, that, and we talked about the sun and the rain. According to this place of scripture, God sends his rain by a person, uh, by a specific people that are carriers of his son and carriers of his reign. And so he commands them, as in this situation we read here, that God commands uh, them to come either for correction, his land, or his mercy. And so this sun that shines and this rain that pours, they can pour out as a blessing for the one and a, p a punishment for another correction. And people don't want to think about this, but this is so. In one of God-inspired Psalms of David that identifies the nature of the selective love of God, which identifies the flaming holiness of God, he says, The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves the righteous, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5-7 It would have been truly strange and unnatural for God if he in the period of the Old Testament was one God and in the period of the New Testament suddenly changed and became a different God. <clears throat> which is what the unclean rags of the devil continue to say happened. Also the lawless men that support these unclean, which are carriers and demonstrators of the program of sin. 
and to nip the fantasies of the rampant crowds of the unclean and lawless men who are in the midst of the nation of God, who dispute the unchanging nature of God and His word in the selective love of God, God by, by prophet Malachi says, For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Malachi 3.6 And so that there be no doubt or basis that the selective love of God is is only the product of the law of Moses for the asserters and advocates of a tolerant mind and their followers who continually convince themselves that God loves everyone, I will present the words of Christ that no way can belong to the format of the law of Moses. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. In Hebrew, woe is such a curse <coughs> that is not able to re be returned or, or has no, does not have any more uh, chances. This is a complete departure from God for uh, and forever. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar is nothing. It is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obligated, obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. And so here we're talking about our body cleansed from dead works. When we offer prayers to God, it is received, it is sanctified because our conscience is cleansed from dead works. When our conscience is not cleansed from dead works and we begin to pray to God, then our prayers are defiled. Uh, uh, we defile them ourselves because we're impure. That's what Jesus is talking about. <coughs> therefore he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it and he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it and he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. And so they have the look of righteousness but deny its power. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, 
that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs for the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been part takers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, <coughs> because people who died for the house of their fathers will never say <coughs> that our fathers did these things. They no longer have fathers. They are fatherless. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteousness of righteous Abel, to the blood of Zerachiah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. <clears throat> Matthew 23, 13 through 36. This is not the only place of Scripture, and there are many other parables that talk about these things. According to the words of Apostle Paul, the symbol of such men that Jesus condemned to everlasting suffering in, in burning hell are people that have the look of godliness but deny its power. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. In the world they've always been this way, but it's talking about people in the church are still part of the kingdom of heaven, but later will be thrust out of it. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despised of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Lovers of pleasure, that's loving sex more, than loving God. And so in the church, they preach sex, and the entire church is uh, just listening how, what, where, and, uh, and all the details of it, because they're lovers more of pleasure than loving God. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And to be obedient to holy truth that abides in your heart, we need to depart from such people, avoid and walk away. This means to hate. We more than once noted that in Scripture the reward of the righteous is in the fruit of the righteous, which is the grown tree of life in this present time. And that the reward of the righteous upon earth in the fruit of the tree of life is linked to the reward of the wicked and sinner. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that men will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges the earth. Psalm 58, 10, 11. To understand the essence of the given allegory, the way the righteous will wash their feet in the blood of the wicked upon earth, we need to see the way the wicked shed the blood of the righteous on earth. Relevant to this, we will turn to the book of Numbers. 
Numbers 35, 33, 34. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land. It's not talking about the planet Earth, but the kingdom of heaven, the church of Christ, and the fellowship of the saints. This earth is the church of saints. Do not defile your church and for blood defiles the land and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell. The Lord dwells amongst his people for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. You see where he dwells. We need to keep in mind that in the given place of scripture it is talking about the earth in which God dwells that is our heart or the heart of his holy nation. In this way, the body of Christ in the form of his church of saints is the land in which the Lord dwells. Also, the holy bodies of men created from the earth are also the land in which the Lord dwells. The shedding of blood in the holy land in which the Lord dwells is an action which entails the murder of the holy, of a holy person, a, a murder of a holy person by another holy person, and such murder in the holy land, which is the body of Christ, the bride of the Lamb, is hatred of one holy person toward another holy person, that comes about because of jealousy of his gifts and his success. Hatred that was produced from jealousy presents itself in spreading bad rumors and false information about a person that we are jealous of in our heart and describing our blemishes to him and describing his goodness to ourselves. Therefore, a person that is a carrier of jealousy in his heart, which demonstrates itself in hatred, is a programmable system of the fallen cherubim, who also in his time was destroyed because of jealousy that overgrew into hatred. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this, this uh, world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in, in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 3.15-3.18 Being in the midst of the holy nation, a jealous person will defile their surroundings in which God dwells. To purify the land in which God dwells from the shed by a jealous person blood, it is necessary to shed the blood of this jealous person, who by shedding the blood of another defiled or polluted the land. Therefore, shedding the blood of the unclean means get rid of such a person by the way of thrusting out from the midst of the nation of God and stopping all communication with him. And after avoid communicating with such a person that will be uniting together and creating synagogues of Satan, calling them synagogues by God's, their synagogues by God's names. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have the faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Second Thessalonians 3, 1-3. To wash your feet in the blood of the wicked is to stop all communication with them and thrust them out from your heart, and as you being an heir of eternal life, so that by doing this you demonstrate the fruit of the tree of life and inherit deliverance from the unclean persons. 
Psalm 68, 20 through 23, Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs, uh, belong escapes from death. But God will wound the head of his enemies, the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan, I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may crush them in blood, and the tongue of your dog may have their portion from your enemies. In the last days, God promised to re-examine the flock of his sheep, to deliver them from lawless leaders. Why, uh, leaders those who justify the unclean and accuse the righteous. Therefore, again and again, I turn to people that have jealousy in their heart and who spread bad information about each other. Awaken, be afraid, and repent. Maybe God will have mercy on you. If you will completely humble yourself under the strong arm that is under the delegated person of God, the carrier of the selective love, his pre- and what he preaches about the kingdom of heaven. Jealousy that has overgrown into hatred in the heart of a person colorfully speaks of the fact that this carrier of such a program does not have a part in the kingdom of Christ and God. I will underline the definition of the fruit of the tree of life in the heart of the righteous with these words. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a sheep, a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. <coughs> all these religious uh, churches, God will lead them out from there and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valley and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a gold fold or a good fold, and feed in rich pasture on the mountain of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost, and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken, and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong, and feed them in, ju- feed them in judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, sometimes people say, a lamb left, and you don't even care. If she would have been a lamb, lamb, she would not have left. This was a wolf and not a lamb. And I say, your sense isn't working. We had a couple of people who... Uh, some people we did have actually we had a person that uh, that couldn't actually smell they they lost a sense of smell uh, we're talking here about spiritual of course people who are not able to differentiate a wolf from a sheep their uh, nose is not this tower of Lebanon a tower of Lebanon that's turned towards Damascus it is able to uh, spot an enemy immediately and so they're not able to de- determine whether it's a sheep or a wolf and as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between sheep and sheep, between ram and goats. It is too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet and the residue of your pasture and to have drunk of the clear waters that you must foul the residue with your feet. And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled with your feet and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep because you have pushed with side and shoulder 
butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. Therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be your God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Ezekiel 34:11-24. David, one who is loved by God, not every one, every pastor or so-called pastor is one who is beloved by God. I remember a brother visited us or, or came uh, and he called me and uh, and said uh, and said I was told to call you and another pastor also called me saying this brother came receive him and so apparently this gentleman was born from in Armenia and so he said that he's uh, born of the same land where you're from and he says that he is in Saint, he, uh, he, he is in St. Petersburg he has a large church and that he has the spirit of Benny Hinn and I determined by speaking with this gentleman that he does not know the word and he and so that pastor who called me and he had the uh, he had the other gentleman on the line it didn't turn off uh, the phone he didn't hang up the phone and I heard everything they were saying amongst each other uh, he said he said when I spoke with him uh, he had he knows a lot of uh, he knows the word very well and this pastor says, well, we don't call him pastor. Uh, and this gentleman asked him, why? Because he has a lot of, uh, he, he's, he is not in the right way. And, and so imagine, I spoke with one gentleman and the other gentleman. It was interesting to me. He saw me and was so respectful, saying pastor. And even though this other pastor told this gentleman not to call me this way, to call me a pastor, uh, because I'm in the lost way. And so what am I trying to say with all this is that if we have, why did this person say the things he did? He perfectly understands that when I speak, you can examine anything, you could check everything that I say according to scripture. And so he understands, but his heart is resistant because of jealousy because if he has to accept me as a pastor then that means he has to accept that I'm over uh, over him and so I'm not trying to be over them or greater than them I just reveal what the Lord uh, re has revealed and they see this and are afraid because their knowledge is different or their uh, uh, opinions are different and so in the heart of such a person who possesses an unquestionable evidence of their love for the law of God, and that means he hates everything that God hates. Uh, the peace of God reigns that is able to guard his heart and his mind in Christ Jesus. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Psalm 37, 28. Let us now bend our knees and pray all those who desire to 
be freed from the jealousy that it may be in their heart and it's often a inherited from their fathers a quality that's been that is in you if you re- when when you don't agree with it you repent the lord does not account this as a sin to you you say lord i pluck this out of me and the person that you are jealous of do not spread Uh, bad rumors about them and actually do good to them and tell your uh, old person I will do good for this person I will not spread rumors about this person those who want to be freed from this from sin illnesses uh, sins of any kind fears uh, who want to be delivered upon this place he delivers with the Holy Spirit his nation from fear, from dependence of any sin, and close them into his healing. Amen. Let us pray. I am going to be praying together with you your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that the Lord is for you. He's not against you. He, in the blink of an eye, can, according to his word, cleanse you and justify you and not see sin in you. It doesn't matter what you feel. Uh, The Lord is faithful to his word. Lift your hands to God. Close your eyes without wrath and without doubt. Pray together with me, Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my heart, with my wound. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me cover my shame cleanse me from my sins heal my illnesses according to your word may all sickness be cursed and all viruses within my body that bring about this sickness I believe in your healing I believe in your life I believe in your justification I open up my heart Enter in by the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit and show me your mercy and your glory. I accept this and I want to proclaim before heaven and hell that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all these blessings be upon you and the promises of God and upon your children and be fulfilled upon you. And the nation shall say, Amen. <coughs> and now, all together, let us proclaim our manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.